0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.
1: 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to Elders, Past, present of the Kulin Nation, we recognise their unceded sovereignty.
2: This is 3CR Breakfast. Oh, Alternative news, analysis, Wrap and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am oh, late 8:30am.
3: Early
4: double. Grab your hands!
5: Good morning. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast with Ayan. Uh, we have Lauren. Yes. And we have uh, George. I was going to call you Ruby. I don't know <laughs> why. Every time I look at you, I'm sitting
1: in Ruby's seat. Maybe that's it.
5: <laughs> that's... Exactly. That must be it. Um, so, uh, how was your weekend?
6: Pretty good. Georgie bought her first car. Oh, yes. Oh,
5: congrats. Yay. <laughs> Very exciting. You get to go on your road. Was it a road trip? Yes, hopefully.
6: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm.
1: Mm-hmm. I still have to get my license, though, so I'm huh? being a bit premature on the
6: <laughs> car buying. Ah, for... you bought a car before you got your license. <laughs> mm. I love it. No. Confidence. Yes. yes.
1: Manifestation. Yes. <laughs> yes.
5: Manifestation. I think I've
1: got, like, a 30% chance of getting
5: it,
6: so. I feel like it's Could much higher. Yeah, <laughs> girl,
5: come on. You're amazing.
6: Um, so... We have a ridiculous show lined up today. Yeah, we do. Mm-hmm, as um, always. <laughs> yeah, as
5: of course, as always. Uh, at 7:30 we have Candy Bowers who is just this amazing person. She's a she's a playwright, a director, a writer. She's done you know, she, she's award-winning as well and um she's hilarious and she's so outspoken and she's also been um taking the uh, theater world to task about their lack of diversity and
6: and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if it's any indication, she has a show at Mapping Melbourne this week, I believe, called Hyperfragility, which yes. is about oh, white masculinity. Wow. So, yeah, we're super yeah. excited. Yeah. That sounds awesome. That is yeah. that
1: the one that we're having in the studio today? Yes. yes. Oh, she coming cool. yes. in. Yes, yes. mm.
6: And I'm so excited. Ayan has organised an interview with Debbie Kilroy, who is the CEO of Sisters Inside. Um, she's a prison abolitionist, a feminist activist, lawyer, and a former prisoner. And if you have Twitter, follow her. She is amazing. Wow, that's,
1: that's- awesome.
2: 3CR are selling Kafia Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine.
7: All profits will be
2: donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red... And black or you can choose from a modern design go to 3 slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours
6: definitely buy a kofaya if you can uh this week has been particularly difficult i suppose for the palestinian diaspora um Yeah, with Trump announcing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, as he sees Mm it. Uh, There's a solidarity gathering tomorrow, I think, at the State Library at about 5.30. The um, Australian-Palestinian Action Network is organising it. The Coalition Against Israeli Apartheid are contributing. So um, get down there and show your support. Um, Also on the show today, we are speaking with Gabby from Red about violence against sex workers. And Georgie, who are you talking to? So the
1: first interview coming up today is with Rena, who is a freelance writer, and we're going to talk a bit about racism and how that relates to a lack of empathy and issues around denial
6: and everything in Australia. This is going to be amazing. Mm. And what's the weather today, my dear?
1: Weather. So it's currently 16 degrees. It's going to be 26 and sunny today. So that sounds
6: good. Get your sunscreen out. (laughs) Yeah.
0: In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's
5: 40th birthday,
8: Years in the making, Radical Radio celebrating 40 years of 3CR is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station.
0: At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades.
4: You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy
8: or online at 3cr.org. Au forward slash shop.
4: Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now.
1: And we're back at Tuesday Morning Brekkie. We're going to kick it off with a song by one of my favourite bands. They're called the Senegambian Jazz Band. They're so great. They're like a seven-piece band um, and the music hails from Gambia, Senegal, Ethiopia, Ghana and Australia and it's really beautiful and just just makes you want to get up and dance. I saw them play like a few months ago and it was pretty special. So the song that I'm going to play of theirs is called Africa. That was the Senegambian jazz band with a song called Africa. Such a beautiful instrument, the chora, if you heard at the beginning of that song. It's so melodic and beautiful. So we're going to go straight now into an interview with Rina Gupta, who is a Melbourne-based freelance writer who's written for the Sydney Morning Herald, Overland, New Matilda and Dejeb Press. Hi, Reena. How are you going?
9: Hi, I'm good. How are you?
1: Good, thanks. Hope it's not too early for you.
9: Oh, no, it's all good.
1: <laughs> so I wanted to focus on an article that you wrote for Jed Press. Uh, can you mm-hmm. tell us a little, uh, our listeners, a little bit about this publication?
9: Um, sure. Uh, well, Jed Press um is a publication that um is written for by people of color. Um, so anyone can submit to them. Um, including uh, Aboriginal people. And the main readership, I believe, is also people of colour. Um, I'm not an expert because it's not my publication, but um, I submitted an article to them about about six months ago um, and it got picked up. So I was pretty happy with that.
1: Yeah, and it's a pretty great article. I think it had a lot of really interesting points that I hope we get to discuss (laughs) Um, In this interview. Uh, Yeah, and I've Mm -hmm. I've heard about Jed Press from Mayan, who is here in the studio today, who sent another article through that. So it seems like it's got a lot of really great content. So Mm -hmm. your article talks about racism and how it relates to a lack of empathy. And you mentioned this Mm -hmm. in the context of Roxanne Gay and Paul Beattie's experiences being interviewed in Australia. What do you think these Mm -hmm. interviews say about racism in our country?
9: Um. Yeah, well, I think those interviews took place about six months ago, and um, after they had happened, I was just struck by the way that the interviewers, who were both white Australians, um, seemed to really struggle to kind of engage with their guests um, in an empathetic way, Um, and their guests were both um, Americans and they were both black Americans as well, and I just really... um, I really thought that a lot of the um, difficulty they had with engaging with their guests was about race. Um, you know, in the Paul Beattie interview, um, when Michael Cascart, who was the interviewer, when he opened the interview, he used the N-word twice. Um, and I was just shocked that he didn't realise that that's not really an appropriate thing to do when you're talking to... You. Um, An African-American man, or it's not appropriate at all, I mean, regardless of who you're talking to. Um, You know, and later on in the interview, he talked about how Australia is this great post-racial society um, and that other other countries should kind of look up to us. Um, And it just, to me, illustrated that, um, you know, white Australians don't really have insight into the way that, Non white people experience the world, and there seems to be a real lack of empathy for uh, non white people.
1: Hmm. And it also very much seems this sort of denial and this like having this Mm. image or narrative about Australia being an inclusive place, whilst at the same time being incredibly bigoted.
9: (laughs) Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of um, people in this country um, have stories that they tell themselves about Australia. So we like to think that we're a multicultural nation and that we're very tolerant and inclusive and, you know, we took refugees in back in the 1970s um, and all the rest of it. But, um, you know, it's, it's not necessarily very realistic.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I really like your description of um, the international repu- uh, reputation of Australia as the cultural backwater or the drunk uncle to the Western world. <laughs>
9: Oh, thanks. Yeah, I, I lived overseas for a little while and I, I remember just feeling so embarrassed by <laughs> a lot of people who I'd, you know, I, you know, I'd bump into people and they would just be like, oh, you're from Australia. That must be really racist for you.
1: <laughs> and it was just,
9: yeah, it was incredibly yeah, difficult to have those conversations.
1: Mm. And it's, it's interesting how there is that, that image that international, like other people outside of Australia have. And that we yeah, don't see definitely. ourselves in that way. Mm.
9: Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because we kind of see ourselves as really, yeah, like we were saying before, really tolerant and not racist at all. But um, plenty of countries think of us as really backwards and, uh, and, and really xenophobic and racist. Hmm.
1: And, and also you mentioned issues around representation. Can you explain how mm-hmm. a lack of representation um, of people of colour in mainstream society relates to racism? Yeah,
9: um, well, I think um, a lack of representation of people of colour in the media um, kind of sets people up to be racist, um, simply put. So, um, you know, if you grow up in Australia or you live in Australia, um, I think you'll see that um, Australian TV is pretty white, you know, TV shows are pretty white, the news is quite white. Um, our uh, politicians are quite white as well. And I think that means that if, for example, you're a white person growing up here and you're watching TV, um, you're only exposed to white points of view. You're not exposed to the points of view of people of colour and you're also not seeing stories that censor people of colour either. And so that means that you can't put yourself in the shoes of people of colour um, you can't relate to people of colour. You can only relate to your own people. And that's really problematic. I mean, it it might sound a bit um, precious to kind of complain about that, but it can have huge consequences if Mm. you can't put yourself in the shoes of people of colour. You know, I would say that 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 is behind, well, that's one thing that's behind asylum seeker policy. I think a lot of white people can't put themselves um, in the shoes of the people Mm. that are coming here from other countries because of The fact that they're not white i really think it's as simple as that yeah you know i I think if um the refugees that were coming here were like white zimbabweans or something everything would change really Mm.
1: and and it seems also not being able to understand what it would be like not to be represented like just taking that for granted that you know you can turn Mm. on the tv and see someone that looks like you
9: yeah, exactly. I think some th- people don't realise what it's like to kind of grow up as a person of colour in this country, you know. Um, I think there's this comedian in the US, Harry Kondabolu, and he's doing a documentary about True at the moment um, in The Simpsons. And uh, that's a really great way to kind of... Um, he really explains that, you know, 20 years ago, there, was, there were no Indians on TV at all. There was just this one ridiculous cartoon character. And um, as a result, you know, there was this massive lack of empathy towards mm.
1: Indian people yeah, in the US. Yeah, and now you're seeing people like Aziz Ansari that are selling at Madison Square Garden. It's amazing to see. Yeah, yeah. It's That's, very... I guess, is a very slow progression, but a progression. Is that yeah, the um, it's, comedian it's that you mentioned um, in the article that talks about tunnel tunnel vision and not seeing um, experiences outside of white people's experiences? Was that that?
9: Yeah, yeah yeah so um I think I heard him talk about that in a podcast once. Um, he was just saying that um, he t- he talks about how white people kind of lose from white privilege as well, um so he was saying that it's not just um people of color that lose out, but it's white people as well because they lose some of their humanity they can't relate to other humans, they can only relate to other white people, and mm-hmm. that's you know, that's really sad, yeah.
1: basically. And you also mentioned that you're a bit um, suss on the term white privilege. Do you think it's yeah. a, a, not a, as useful a term? How do you see it? Um, yeah, I don't know. Um,
9: it is a useful term, I guess, and, like, I'm glad that it's being used. But at the same time, I think it's used so much that it's kind of losing its meaning a bit. I think if people are a bit worn out, Um, from hearing about white privilege. Um, And I guess as a person of colour, I'm a bit sick of the term and I find it a little bit disempowering sometimes because it kind of suggests that, um, like, as a person of colour, I've kind of got the short end of the stick and that white people have all the privileges, um, you know, which is true to some extent. Um, But like I was saying before, I think there are... You know advantages to being a person of color because you have empathy for you know different ethnicities, you can look beyond yourself when you're empathizing with people, so
1: mm-hmm.
9: um, I think it's a useful term, but um yeah, that's one thing about it that bothers me
1: yeah, it does seem one, one of those difficult things where you when terms are used to describe an experience, but they can have effects for individuals, and it's such a it's a personal thing how a term feels for yeah, you, yeah exactly. Exactly. And you also um, mentioned white, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this correctly, solipsism?
9: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, white solipsism. Can you explain um, to, to our
1: listeners what that, I thought that was a really interesting term.
9: Yeah, sure. Um, so white solipsism, I believe, was um, a term coined by Adrian Rich back in the 70s. Um, and I think it's, it's just a tendency to... Um, describes the way white people see the world as the way the world is. So it's kind of um, seeing white perspectives as objective and universal and it's ignoring non-white perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's sort of like a blindness and a tunnel vision, you know, it's just the white view of the world is the way the world is and there's nothing else.
1: Mm-hmm. So I just want to ask you one last question. Um, do you think that Centering empathy as you have in your article is a useful way of um sort of dealing with racism in Australia.
9: Um yeah, I mean I don't think it's it's like a cure. Um but I think it's one way that we can we can start thinking about racism um in Australia and it's one way that we can start making things better. Um I think really small things like um putting more people of colour on television is really important, um, just TV shows and the news, and and we need more people of colour in Parliament as well. Um, and that's just crucial, like, to ensure that people ha- are exposed to a variety of perspectives um, and so that they can think in more complex ways and not just kind of constantly think about themselves. Um yeah, I think that would, that would change everything, really.
1: Well, thank you so much, Rina, for your insights. It's been a pleasure to have you. Cheers. That's all right. Thanks for having me. Bye. So that was Rina Gupta, who's a Melbourne-based freelance writer, um, and then we were speaking about racism and denial and a lack of empathy.
4: Sometimes when you need help most, it can be really hard to speak up. If you need things like food, a place to stay, or counselling support, there's no shame when you ask Izzy. Askizzy.org.au is a website that helps you find what you need now and nearby. It's made for mobile and all searches are anonymous. Plus, there are no data fees if you're on the Telstra network. No shame, just ask Izzy. That's askizz A 3CR supporter.
3: Are you aged over 65? The University of Melbourne is conducting interviews exploring how radio can impact wellbeing. Researchers will interview you for 60 minutes and in return you'll be given a $25 gift card. For more information, please visit cbf.com.au forward slash wellbeing. This research is proudly funded by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. A 3CR supporter.
8: Like in Canada and in Australia, they cannot discharge tailings directly into the riverways. But in Pogara, they discharge their tailings in the waterways and they kill us and they say, it's okay, you are just being killed for trespassing.
0: Subscribe to 3CR, bringing you voices and opinions the mainstream media don't dare touch.
8: They have the exclusive right to extract the mineral below six feet, but that exclusive right does not permit them also to kill people.
0: Who does the killing?
8: The company has uh, specially arranged security forces.
0: Subscribe today. Call 9419 8377.
3: You're listening to three CR eight fifty five on the AM dial.
1: You're listening to Tuesday morning breakfast at three CR with myself, George, Ayan, and Lauren. What's up? <laughs> it's going to be a beautiful twenty six degrees today, so hope you all get to get out and get some sunshine. Um, we're going to kick, uh, play another song. This one's from an artist called Sudan Archives. She's from Ohio, I, believed, I believe, and she's a violinist and vocalist. Uh, she plays and produces her own music drawing inspiration from Sudanese fiddlers, and she's self-taught on the violin, and her unique songs also fold in elements of R&B and experimental electronic music. So it's a really unique sound. hope you enjoy. This song is called Oatmeal. So that was the Sudan Archives with a song called Oatmeal, named after my favourite breakfast.
8: Great Voices CDs on 3CR. These CDs are a unique collection. Now you can go to 3cr.org.au and you can order online all the 20 CDs, 15 issues, for $160 postage pay. Or check the individual issues and read each track on it. Every major singer is on there. You'll be excited and entranced. Go to 3cr.org.au now and check out the wonderful Great Voices CDs. From every corner of the land, womankind
5: arrives!
6: Women on the Line, a current affairs program devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives
0: on current affairs. Erosion of human rights leads directly and
2: inevitably
10: to erosion of human security.
3: We do not accept the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our line. Women on the Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am. And streaming live at 3cr.org.au.
7: I think 3CR is the voice of the people speaking back to the establishment and telling them what they think and sometimes it's something they don't want to hear. You're listening to 3CR Radio. We will not negotiate with state of title government or anyone on on our culture, on on our land. You know, if people say, oh, you're going to finish up with nothing, well then so be it. But at least our hearts will tell us that we did not sell out our country and our culture and heritage for a few scumgy dollars.
0: Subscribe to 3CR so that your dollars support Indigenous voices and the struggle for land justice.
3: For Aboriginal people, the greatest grief of all is seeing the country destroyed. And
10: somewhere along the line, we have to realise that we don't actually have the
3: right to do that, that nothing we've ever done has given us the right to do that. Now, you know where I stand on this, because I'm so simple-minded. I think we've just got to admit that
10: this is an Aboriginal country. Just do it.
5: And if you are tuning in, you're listening to Tuesday Breakfast with Ayan, Ruby, Hope, okay, I just said the whole gang, uh, Lauren and... In the studio we in the studio we have Candy Bowers. Candy Bowers is an award-winning director, writer and performer. Candy founded the production house, Black Honey Company, with her sister, Busty Beats. This is the production that brought us um, Honey Hot Brown Honey, Burlesque and Australian Beauty, just to name a few. Her current project, Hyper Fragility, is a performance show, conversation piece, party, extravaganza that she co created with dance maker Victoria Chu. And I haven't even touched on her social media presence. (laughs) Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast. Oh, hello. Hi there. I'm, I'm so glad to have you. Thank you so much for coming in so early as well. I'm, that's all right. I it know. wasn't bad. It meant I went
10: to bed early, which is a positive. Yay. Yeah, for okay. my workload currently, it's a real positive. Yes.
5: Yeah. So I mean, I
8: mean that is, <laughs>
5: that's a good way to start the day. Yeah. Um, so, Audrey Lord says, if I didn't define myself for myself, I would be crunched into other people's fantasies for me and eaten alive. Even though we've gone through your bio, how mm. would you, in your own words, describe yourself? Or uh, your
10: practice? My practice? Um, <clears throat> as a political theatre maker and artist and a radical black feminist, I feel like all of it is in together. Um, it's interesting, lately I've been learning a little bit more about compartmentalising parts of your life just so you can survive through them, essentially. Mm. Um, but for me... Uh, that's always been really tricky. So I find it difficult to walk into a space and not be my full self, not to find myself or myself. So this has been since I was a child, i realised it was a natural mm. instinct, which um, is, is an odd one actually in the spheres that I work and live in because, uh, say for example, in the space where I trained, which is NIDA, as an actor, I watched people get crunched into other people's fantasies pretty much daily, you know, let alone in my industry. Mm. Uh, and what that looks like to me is just, you know, people walking in a certain way and walking out looking completely different even, yeah. you know. It's like a dying their hair, you know, mm. uh, all these different things. And you think, okay, if you're, if you're an artist, then you're here to actually represent who you are. Um, so that kind of cookie-cutter idea never sat well with me. And I kind of got to transcend it essentially because I'm a large, you know, mixed race, um, part black, part Asian, you know, South African woman. Mm. So there was no trope for me yet in Australia. So I constantly got to define myself for myself while also dealing with the fact that I was, you know, growing and having a career in a really racist environment Mm. um, that I'd also studied in a really racist and misogynistic environment. Mm. Like when I think of NIDA now, particularly as all this stuff's blown up again about sexual harassment in the industry, my particular industry, uh, Harvey Weinstein, Jeffrey Rush, all this stuff, I realised we weren't even just in an anti-feminist environment. We were in an anti-woman environment, Mm. okay? So I have survived through some pretty toxic spaces, you know, no doubt as my grandmother and my mother has as well. So for me it was imperative to define myself or myself, right? Yeah, because if I allowed that... Other to, to the gaze I was constantly in mm. of the white playwright, the white director, etc., even the white designer, um, I wouldn't actually have developed into the type of artist I am today, if I listened. Yes. If I if I stayed in my box, if I remained the good darkie, was happy to play the maid on every other show, was happy with the positionality that they'd given me as mm. the exotic other. You know, like most black women in Australia that have any sort of career, particularly from the African diaspora or Afro Caribbean diaspora, yeah. have played Tichaba.
1: Um,
10: it's a role in the crucible. Maxine Benita Clark's mother basically played it for 32 years in Australia. You know what I mean? Like that, only that role in a lot of ways, Mm. Um, which is, you know, just for me, it's like crisis point, like um, this role written by uh, Mm. Arthur Miller, you know, the father of drama or whatever, white American drama. At the same time in the States, you know, as he was, you know, that play won all of the awards or what have you back in the day. But there are other playwrights, you know, in the, in, the, in the modern era, like winning all these same awards that are black, that are yeah. female. We don't put them on in Australia. So I had to start writing for myself. Yep. I wasn't interested in the fantasies of white men particularly. Yes. Um, and so, you know, this is a really interesting space for me because, um, you know, as we all know, radical actually means the root Angela Davis would say radical is simply the root of. So for me, um, writing myself onto stage was a political act and a personal act of Mm. self-love because as an actor, yeah, you constantly hear the script, be this role, da-da-da, but I've actually had quite a privileged career in that, you know, I don't think any main stage theatre company would dare send me um, a description that was a wet nurse or a maid these (laughs) days because I've I've made a really political point about that. I think it's really problematic that there's a black woman wearing an, an apron. That's not a political statement because in, of course, Hot Brown Honey, we talk about it. That I guess that's my personal story in Hot Brown Honey um, of and when they kind of come. Yes. And for
5: those who don't know about Hot Brown Honey, can yeah. you just give us a little?
10: Sure. Um, it was a, a work that I um, created with my sister Busty, who's in Black Honey Company with me. So that's our company. And we collaborated with an amazing dance Maker designer um, mm. Lisa Falafi, who's uh, Samoan, she's uh, from. She was working with a group called Polytoxic <clears throat> that Busty had done a lot of music with, and um, Polytoxic had also had the offshoot of Briefs Boylesque show, which was mm. kind of starting to make lots of waves in the world. And basically, Fezzard said to Lisa, "I'll do a female version of the show, call it Knickers or something," mm. and she didn't that didn't really feel like an authentic thing for her, I guess. So we were kind of like playing away on the side. And and what we began to learn as we delved into the area was that originally burlesque and the women, particularly the black women who danced, uh, Josephine Baker, mm. you know, comes to mind. And there are f- quite a few more through the 60s and 70s. They're also very political women. So there's the kind of intersection between sexuality, politics, expression mm. and all of that stuff. Um, and, and we found that as we were creating the work, it was very high, really political yeah. as well. So it's become – it's a cabaret work that travels the world now. So they're in Manchester right now mm. um, and heading to Canada. Uh, there's six or seven women, First Nations women of colour on stage at any given time mm. uh, or in the company. So as people kind of have other things to do, whatever, we s- switch it out, which is also a mm. massive um, – Goal has always been for me to create platforms where other women of color yes. get to do their thing,
5: yeah.
10: Um, so yeah, that one kind of exploded. And this year at Edinburgh, the show was like in the top three of the most attended mm-hmm. and highest star rating works, yeah. so you can kind of say in the world because it's a world festival, right? Yeah, so that's one we've got to about, and
5: it's exciting. And yeah. I, I know there's a new cast member as well, mm. so that's exciting yeah to, add to the crew yeah um speaking of politics um i saw a nina simone quote that you oh yeah put up and i just kind of rephrased it because mm. it's such an amazing quote um but she says uh, it's just basically saying do artists have a responsibility for their work their voice to reflect the time so what do you think about that
10: uh, yeah, it, I really do believe so. Mm. Um, being in Edinburgh as well this year, I was playing another role in a, in a theatre show called Lilith, the Jungle Girl, where I play a white Dutchman. Um, yes. and, um, awesome. while I was, yeah, while I was Sorry. doing that show, um, or, you know, it was just great being there, but I was able to pretty much watch women of colour back to back for four weeks. Mm. It was extraordinary. I'll just say Selena Thompson is also coming to Australia in April. She's absolutely incredible. Um, So it was really exciting. And uh, for me, the work of black women at that festival, it was political. Everything was political. Mm. It was all political and personal and beautifully executed. So I just think it's a really interesting line because I know a lot of white artists, even the ones that I would say – are quite political, like the Sisters Grimm's guys that I just worked with, white gay boys, Mm. they make this very political work, but then they'll, they shy away from talking about the politics. Mm. So we, we, Mm. I mean, we're really great friends. We had a great time, but Mm. that's one thing we disagree on. (laughs) Like, um, they, they, Really talk about oh, people need to make their own decisions, or it's not political, and I'm like, it's really political. You've just cast me in yeah. the lead role as a white man, <laughs> you know. And um, that's okay though, because you, you know what have I mean, to
5: bang it over somebody's head. No, your mere existence Ooh. and you being on that stage, yeah, is political, enough. yeah.
10: And they're so creative, and what they identify. What I, what I love about there are very few people out there in the industry because it's pretty much dominated by white men yes. for some really key reasons other than erasure and exclusion. Now also I'm realising, oh, a lot of people don't want to work with their predators. Ooh. They don't want to be in a show where somebody who has assaulted them is the lead role. Mm. Like the amount of women who would have said no to stuff because there's a perpetrator or predator in the cast is really high because mm. the guy often gets cast first and then we're that's the anchor actor and then you get cast around them Mm. and it's like oh no thank you you know my safety my safety and it's so you realize it's an unsafe space and um and a lot of the time I hear lots of diverse actors trans artists you know people from the margins people with disability uh, actors of color saying oh yeah this happened and this happened and that happened on a show but you know you got to choose your battles And a lot of people say, oh, yeah, I hear that, like, you know, for survival. But what I hear is, oh, so it's a battlefield. It's still a battlefield, right? Right. Um, And it's still, like, difficult for people to in Australia to wrestle with this idea of the political Mm. in work, but not on a global scale, Mm -mm. right? We had to get out of the country to actually be acknowledged on the level that we were acknowledged on. And it's not to say that... People in Edinburgh were terrified of us as well. Like, it's just that their approach to to being shaken up is very different to Australia.
5: Where Australia, they sort of are repulsed by it.
10: Just just disabled by it or something. Like, everything just, ah, they don't know what to do about it, you know? Mm. Um, And so, in the way that we're really being headhunted around the world, Mm. um, like, my next play I'll I'll create at the Traverse Theatre in Edinburgh, Mm. and busties, you know, like everywhere around the it's world so... are just like, come and work with us, you know, da, da, da. and in Australia it's kind of like there's maybe one offer. Right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm like, I'm pretty sure mm. we're the most, one of the most exciting and breakthrough um, groups to to have come out of this country. Yeah. Um, Some of the awards we've won I don't think anybody's ever won mm. that's Australian, but there's this real like – um fear of of playing with the politics or playing in that area mm, yeah mm, mm, mm.
5: Oh my god I feel like we could talk to you forever and ever <laughs> um but c- can you uh, tell us about your current project hyper um, fragility yes uh
10: it still makes me giggle um <laughs> me and Victoria Chu a woman I met a few years ago now around 2011-2012 oh. at a you know, one of those events where they're like, we're bringing together artists of color, mm. you know, from multidiscipline, you know. Mm. And it was like, Aren't okay. We great. Mm. Us, it was so in my smart. hometown. So I was like, okay, <laughs> oh, let's see. okay. But then I turned up and it was, it was actually really wonderful. And I met Vic. You know, we were like, well, everybody else was in bed and we were drinking a bottle of champagne in a hotel foyer. That's how we knew we were destined <laughs> to work together. Yes. Um, she rang me a few years ago and just said, "You want to make a work about assimilation?" And I was like, "Yeah." And she's actually really funny too, and because contemporary dance is quite serious, mm. and and she's just like, uh, reading my Facebook post and kind of going. At the beginning when we started, she goes, "You can kind of be the muse of the work," and then it's shifted again into a kind of meeting of of two minds, hearts, souls, critical thinkers, mm. and we're making something really unique and special, like. The first time, what we want to do is like every time we put it on, we're going to do it in a different site. So, for example, the first time we did something around it was for a Melbourne Fridge Club night with like three hundred people. It was a party; it was a, you know, a party. It was crazy. Yeah. And now, and then we went. We need to find a boardroom in an ivory tower somewhere yes. in the city where, where for mapping Melbourne. List-
5: you'd least expect us to be. Yeah, I mean, not that we're not, but yeah. You know,
10: well, no, that. we're really not in this place. Um, mm. We found, which was the Art Centre's premium lounge, which is a secret dining area and boardroom and bar mm. for major benefactors, may, major donors. Never
5: heard of it. Yeah,
10: nobody has.
5: <laughs> I mean, that's the. <laughs> it's almost
10: got a secret <laughs> entrance. You just walk past it when you're in the Art Centre. It's quite. A, it's quite a good, easy, accessible place, obviously. Mm. But you know, for donors who want to dine with less than 10 people <laughs> and not with all the riffraff. Yeah. It's really interesting. So high-end, big money folks. We saw a few people dining in there at one point. I have no idea mm-hmm. how we got in and who let us in. <laughs> yes. But I was like looking at Victoria. She's quite heavily pregnant right now, like dancing in her underpants. And I was like, who let us in here? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> yes, I love that we were laughing cuz we were like basically we came to the thematic and everything by just having a lot of conversations fooling around with stuff asking ourselves like interrogating our, our own experiences you know one list we wrote down what's our greatest barrier and we came we were like white fragility is our greatest barrier right now mm. to um for the australian scene you know just getting through the defensiveness mm. and then we also noted that mainly the people we're talking to, white, all white people, but mainly men. Mm. So then we just we were trying to find ways that that we could ease our hearts and minds because we're always in this fight. And it was through humour, of course. Mm. So, you know, calling white men sookie bubbers and yeah. kind of... Because
5: um, that's what the title says. Yeah. It says, why are white men so defensive? Lol. Well, yeah,
10: lol. Mm. So the point, the lol yes. point's really important and a lot of my guys around social media are not getting it. And um, yeah, like I noticed, 3RRR put up a post when I had a interview with them or mm. time out. And there's always a few white guys just going, this looks like shit. This looks like cancer. What yeah. is this even? I'm like, a little bit defensive, y'all, yeah. you know, it's like, seems like white guys are pretty defensive about being called defensive. And it's like, you know, they're playing into our hands and, yeah. and, um, we're laughing a lot and, um, we, things are really funny that it happened it just so happens that our tech and our stage manager are white men mm. and, um, it's just so funny that they're running around through the show, like doing all this stuff
5: for us. It's and... about time. <laughs> it's about time that the roles were reversed. Yeah.
10: But yeah, so we delve into our upbringing. We delve into our experiences with white men. We And, um, what it feels like to, to have had our, like growing up in our era where we're in our late thirties. Mm-hmm. So things like, um, We dress in uh, primary school outfits and we enact some stuff that we used to do every year Hmm. on Colonial Day. I don't know if everybody here grew up in Australia, but in primary school, sometimes you had Colonial Week. Oh jeez. Yeah. An entire week and of you did bush operation. dances and you learn about Captain Cook and you you know you put the rightful leaders it's of the country I- celebration, right? So we so we do some stuff around that and it quickly kind of is um, you know subverted into into a kind of probably one of the most intense moments in the show. Mm. Now, the other thing is Vic and I we both have Chinese heritage. And um, I'm also South African and nobody knows about the history that, you know, well, we don't really study about the Chinese that were here since the gold rush Mm -hmm. or the fact that um, black African men came over with um, the Dutch to fight on Australian soil, the Mm -hmm. English with the colonisers. So actually, you know, regarding early settlement, we were both of us have ancestry that was here, Mm. you know. So that's the kind of thing that we we start to unpack but also then from, you know, from then to now and kind of saying, gosh, who did, who's the first, you know, who who's the first Asian person you saw on Australian TV growing up? And we're like trying to remember. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, who's the first woman, you know, from the African diaspora uh, that you ever saw on a comedy show mm-hmm. that was ever in TV Week? And I'm like, me this year. Dang. Do you know what I mean? Dang. So it's I mean, like but... where we're at, you know?
5: Yeah. Oh. Oh, but you know what? I'm 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 glad people like you exist <laughs> and are doing the work mm-hmm. and you know, I hope one day that well, it's it's happening now, but future generations can can look back and be like Candy Bow was one of <laughs> Candy the... <mouth>. Yeah. <laughs> so. I,
10: I was one of those 24 people in the Hyperfragility boardroom and I will never forget
5: it. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, Hyperfragility is showing at Arts Melbourne on the 13th and 14th. And even though tickets have sold out, it's still worth attending in case of cancellations. We'll put up a link of the Melbourne Fringe Um, Sorry,
10: it's Mapping Melbourne. Mapping Melbourne. Apologies, Mapping Melbourne. So just to say, so Mapping Melbourne is Multicultural Arts Victoria's baby, curated by them, presented by them across Melbourne. And it's an exploration of new work and collaborations by independent um, Asian, like so Indian to Southeast Asia, all of Asian, um, independent artists across Melbourne. That's the kind of like... So for the first time, I'm like, so I feel like I'm coming out with the Indian and the Chinese yeah. parts of my identity <laughs> or something. In, yes, yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes,
5: yes. Um, up next, we have an interview that Lauren will be conducting. Um, stick around. Um, we'll be back in a tick. Sometimes Ooh. when
4: you need help most, it can be really hard to speak up. If you need things like food, a place to stay or counselling support, there's no shame when you ask Izzy. AskIzzy.org.au is a website that helps you find what you need now and nearby. It's made for mobile and all searches are anonymous. Plus, there are no data fees if you're on the Telstra network. No shame, just AskIzzy. That's ASKIZZY.org.au. A 3CR supporter.
3: Are you aged over 65? The University of Melbourne is conducting interviews exploring how radio can impact well-being. Researchers will interview you for 60 minutes and in return you'll be given a $25 gift card. For more information, please visit cbf.com.au forward slash wellbeing. This research is proudly funded by the Community Broadcasting Foundation. A 3CR supporter.
6: And now we are very lucky to be joined in the studio by Gabby Skelsey, um, who, among other things, works with RED, which is um, a part of Star Health. It's an organisation that works with sex workers um, and is a health service and advocacy organisation and is currently organising for Red Umbrella Day. So, Gabby, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure. So, could you start perhaps by just um, Telling our listeners, what is red.
7: Okay. Well, red, which stands for Resourcing Health and Education in the Sex Industry, is the program uh, that works with sex workers in Victoria. Um, and we, we provide and support workers with information about the laws, um, education around, obviously, sexual health, but also uh, physical and mental and emotional health. Um, We do counselling support and referral to sex worker friendly supports like counsellors, financial advisors, banks, accountants, that kind of thing, Um, and advocacy. And we also support people entering the industry and we have a pathways program that supports people transitioning
6: out of the industry. That sounds amazing. It's just like really helpful <laughs> for people. Um, I guess it's it's an industry that um, attracts a lot of judgment, unfortunately. So um, it's nice sure that, does. yeah. yeah. Um, and so the reason that we were um, speaking with you today specifically is because Red Umbrella Day is coming up, um, and That's I just right. wondered if you could give us a bit of a rundown about what that is and how it began. Yeah,
7: sure. Well, Red Umbrella Day is sort of it's also known as the International. Data End violence against sex workers, and it started in 2003 when, um, in Canada, a serial killer, murderer, um, was quoted as saying, "I picked prostitutes because I thought I could kill as many of them as I wanted without getting caught." Oh, so this stirred a public memorial to those victims, and international uh, data and violence against sex workers began, and it's also, as you know, known as Red Umbrella Day. And they use a red umbrella to mark the event because it's uh, a colour of beauty and it represents resistance, which means uh, you know protection from stigma and discrimination, which sex workers across the world face.
6: Yeah. And so it's an international movement. Is there many countries around the yes. world that all, um, that all do something on that day? Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's
7: international. I mean, if you Google it, you can see what's happening across the world.
6: Yeah, and, and, and is... it's always
7: the 17th of December, which this year is a Sunday.
6: Yeah, and Red has something mm. planned, I understand it? Yes, yeah, so
7: we're, we're, um, we're hosting an event down in O'Donnell Gardens in St Kilda where we will have sex workers uh, speak about mm-hmm. their experiences and we'll have other community people uh, talk about their experiences. So this is in O'Donnell Gardens, which is next to Luna Park, mm-hmm. and it's between 2 o'clock and 4 o'clock this coming Sunday. Fantastic. And there'll also be an artwork. The sex workers have um, begun developing a communal or community artwork that uh, people who attend and will be asked to, you know, collaborate on.
6: Oh, that's that's really beautiful. Mm. Um, so I guess moving on then a little bit to the more broad context around this, Um. Why is violence against sex workers an issue that continues to need highlighting after this awful, the birth of Red Umbrella Day? Why in 2017 is this still a problem? um,
7: I think sex workers are too often exposed to high levels of violence, and they are often, you know, they have fewer, or seem to have fewer rights than people within the wider community. Mm -hmm. So the perception that, Sex workers are less deserving of respect and support and and get that stigma and discrimination means that we we need to keep this day alive because sex workers deserve protection from violence just like everyone in the community.
6: Yeah, absolutely.
7: And it's not always physical violence. You know, I mean, people tend to think that um, it's sexual assault and rape and worse things than that, murder, obviously. But it can be things like stalking, non-payment of services, Mm. And uh if clients remove a condom in a booking that that's sexual assault. Yeah. But sex workers sometimes don't report it just due to the concerns they have about how they'll be treated.
6: Yeah. And that's horrifying. Like that's that's violence against any person. It doesn't matter what job mm. they happen to do. Um are, are there more are there particular sex workers rather who have more vulnerability in these situations?
7: People who work on the street are more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that, yeah, the sex industry in Victoria is quite large, and most of it is in brothels or private situations, you know, escorts, escort agencies or independent workers. But there are a, a percentage that work on the street, females, males and trans, and just because of the sheer place where the work takes place, they're exposed to more threats of violence.
6: Mm. Yeah. Um, And so, what changes do you, or does RED hope to see, um, or would like to see, rather, to improve protections for sex workers against these kinds of violence?
7: Well, RED Red is working with the sex industry and calling for full decriminalisation of the sex industry. And I know it's a bit confusing because currently we have the Sex Work Act, which really just controls sex work. So it makes some sex work legal and Mm -hmm. other parts um, unregulated and illegal. So, for example sex work is still illegal, Uh, massage parlours are still illegal and um, even exempt workers, you know, they have to work within the law and some choose not to, mainly because they don't want to go into unsafe situations where they could um, you know, be a threat of violence or or anything really, it's just an OH&S situation.
6: And in terms of the laws as they stand, um, were they sort of, when they were brought in, was that based on consultation with sex worker communities and and people who had been or still were sex workers about what situations needed regulation and that kind of thing, or is this something that actually hasn't worked for sex workers?
7: Well, it hasn't worked for sex workers. But that said, um, the Prostitutes Collective of Victoria were heavily involved mm. when the legislation was drafted back in the early nineties. So uh, an example of that is that the um, the government of, of the day wanted sex workers to be tested every week for STIs and uh, obviously the collective made an argument that no testing should take place but um, if testing was to take place weekly testing would be outrageous and at that time it was made monthly and then later on um, in Red's day in the late 2000s 2000, 2000, um, the testing has been moved out to three monthly but mm. still we, we would like no testing, because sex workers, they work with their bodies, they know how to look after their bodies, and they don't need to be told by a government how often they should be tested.
6: No, and it's one of those typical misinformation things, isn't it, where because of stereotypes, people believe that sex workers somehow have higher rates of STDs and STIs when actually their rates are incredibly low compared to the general population. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah.
7: Mm. And Um, we know this because mm -hmm. sex workers have been tested for so long, so all the research is there.
6: Exactly. Mm. Um, the government really shot themselves in the foot with that one. So mm. <laughs> how um, how can listeners get involved and support the fabulous work of Red?
7: Okay, well, what I always say to the general community, we do a lot of talks to the general community, um, and what we say is go to the Red website, which is, I know it's not Red, it's www.sexworker.org.au, but if you scroll to the bottom of the homepage, there's a newsletter. And if you sign up to receive the newsletter, then you'll be notified of um, of the events we have coming up. Mm-hmm. And um, we always welcome supporters and allies of the sex industry to you know to come along to these events and show their support.
6: Yeah, fantastic. So,
7: and the newsletter only comes out two or three times a year. We don't we don't bombard people with it.
6: <laughs> that is good to know. <laughs> is there anything else you wanted to add, Gaby?
7: Well, just when I was talking about the decriminalisation of the sex industry, um, as part of our advocacy around that, sex workers have been doing art workshops for the past 18 months. Oh, and that is um, going to be celebrated by an opening at Guestworks in the city of Port Phillip, which will open around International Sex Worker Rights Day, which is the 3rd of March. So that artwork will be sex workers' voices, um, you know, talking about or, or displaying the work they do and that they are people like just everyone in the general community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to obviously be in, be inviting the general public to that as a support. So again, if, if people go to our website and get the newsletter, they'll have more information about that, which will be coming out in late January.
6: Fantastic. That sounds really great. And um, we look forward to hopefully attending and chatting to some people with lived experience and a lot to say. Thank you so much, Gabby.
7: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you.
6: And that was Gabby Skelsey from Red. Um, and just in case that interview raised anything for you, um, because there were some discussions about some quite serious topics, um, you might like to call Casa House on 9635 or WIRE, the Women's Information and Referral Exchange on 1300 134 130. City City Limits, Limits,
11: brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9am.
7: City Limits is
6: Melbourne's only hour devoted to our urban environment,
11: to transport and planning and housing issues,
6: to privatisations and our utility services,
11: to building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City limits.
2: What we're dealing with here is a
10: total lack of respect for the law.
3: Tune in to Done By Law.
4: An informal and irreverent look at the law. Critical insights and analysis from diverse community perspectives.
3: Done by law, 6 pm Tuesdays.
1: We're back at Tuesday morning breakfast at 3CR with myself, George, Ayan, and Lauren. So we're going to launch into some community announcements. The first one I've got is um, called Mapping Melbourne. I think it was mentioned in the interview with Candy Bowers. Yes,
6: it's going to be amazing.
1: So Mapping Melbourne, which is running until the 17th of December, is a series of free and ticketed events ranging from genre-breaking performance to new multidisciplinary collaborations, group bike rides punctuated with screenings of short films on burnt building facades, bridges and other, other city infrastructure. S- but some of these events have limited tickets, so check out the program today to make sure you don't miss out. Okay. The next event is called Emerge the North. Um, so Emerge the North is a program developed and run by the multicultural, um, sorry, multicultural Arts Victoria, and they provide opportunities for Indigenous new and emerging communities and artists to have a voice and share their cultural practice. So Emerge is in the planning stage at the moment and MAV are inviting communities, artists and cultural organisations to come to a gathering to get involved. Two of these have already been held but there's one more in Broadmeadows on the 12th of December is that emerge in the west is that the same thing so it's the same but there's like one for the north one for the west oh my god i love emerge, emerge in the west <laughs>
6: it's the best thing ever it's so good oh if you live in the north get involved yes
1: and so with emerge the west uh their expressions of interest are open until tomorrow so you can get your applications in online um, and we'll put the links for all of these things mm-hmm. up on our Facebook page.
6: And even if you can't get involved, come to Emerge in the West because it is so much fun. Bring <laughs> your kids, bring your dogs. It's the best.
1: So I think it's – is it next? It's early next year, I believe. Yeah, it's mm. usually like
6: it's in summer. It's always yeah. a hot night.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, it's exciting. <laughs> can't yep. wait. You're a regular goer. I, I-, Mate, I grew up in Footscray. <laughs> <laughs> So earlier on the program today, I played a song by the Senegambian Jazz Band. Uh, They're playing a gig on Friday the 15th of December at Mimo Music Hall in St Kilda as part of the live live and local festival. And they'll be supported by Hello Tut Tut, which is another band that we played (laughs) here on the show. Um, And again, we'll put the link up for that. Um, So that's all I have this week.
6: Well, I have one. Yes. Um, There is a fundraiser happening for the ASRC on Sunday, the 17th of December. I think it starts at about five and it's um, at Compass Pizza, which is in East Brunswick. It is a great Italian restaurant and they're hosting a concert. All proceeds go towards the ASRC's end of year appeal. It's going to be a beautiful, lovely afternoon full of music Vegan cheese, yum. some wine.
5: Cheese, yum. <laughs> okay, beer, well they have tea. like they
6: have <laughs> they have dairy cheese. I'm not going to fight you about this, AI, <laughs> <laughs> but it's beautiful. It's going to be great. Um, so get along if you love pizza and human rights.
5: Cool. Yes, excellent. Yeah. Up next, you'll be hearing from the amazing Debbie.
11: City, City limits Just brought to us by the People's Committee for Melbourne every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Ooh.
7: City limits, this moments, only are devoted to
3: our urban environment,
11: to transport and planning and housing issues,
3: to privatisations and our utility services,
11: to building and or maintaining a sense of community. 855 on the AM band, if we can hear it through the noise and find it through the smog. City, City limits. limits.
9: Ruminations,
10: 3CR's Rooming House and Homeless Persons Issues Program, featuring information on health and housing services, as well as live local guests, artists and performers from our unsung community. Join us at 12pm on Thursday on 3CR 855 AM. Yeah.
11: If you want to hear us slam the atomic industry, then tune into the radioactive show on 3CR, 10 a.m.
7: Saturdays. A a get me down.
6: And now we have joining us on the line, Debbie Kilroy, who is. All right, I'm a huge fan. I can calm down. She is a prison abolitionist. She's a true feminist. She's an activist, a lawyer, the CEO of Sisters Inside, and herself a former prisoner. Basically, a powerhouse, incredible woman who works tirelessly for communities marginalized by society, and someone we should all be listening to whenever she speaks. So she is joining Ar now.
5: Hi, Debbie. Hi, how are you going? Good, <laughs> how are you? Thank you so much for, because um, we had originally had you for 7.30 and we were like, no, we, st- we still need her to come on. So thank you for, um, yeah, uh, for changing oh. around. Um, so j- j- just to get started, you established Sisters Inside after your release from prison in 92. How has your yep. experience with the criminal justice system Informed your prison advocacy work.
2: Well, it informs everything I do in relation to not just my activism around um, abolishing prisons and um, using decarceration strategies, but it's my life. It's my passion. It's how I want our community to be and um, and live, where we look after mm. each other a hell a lot better than what we
5: do now. Mm, 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 mm. And sisters inside, can you can you tell us who sisters inside are? Sure. Um, so
2: um, sisters inside is an independent non-government organisation which exists to advocate for the human rights of women and girls in the criminal justice system, and we do so alongside women in prison. So basically, what that means at the end of the day is that we're a grassroots non-government organisation. Um, that is driven by the women inside uh, and women outside with the lives prison experience. So we have our management committee meetings inside the prison with women who are actually serving prison times, um, usually lifers a long-termers, mm. and those women that were in prison with me that were the lifers and long-termers who have now been released where I've assisted getting them out on parole are on the management committee outside here in the free world. So everything we do is, uh, you know comes from us so as we say nothing about us
5: without us yes yes absolutely absolutely and um, uh, sisters inside looks at a lot of so it looks at uh, the circumstances in which um, the women are criminalized why is that important to look at um, things like social factors and so on
2: well it's about understanding that the most marginalised and disadvantaged women and girls are the ones that criminalise. And predominantly it's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women and girls that are criminalised at the highest rate. And so it's about exposing um, capitalism and racism and Mm. the prison industrial complex and how that it thrives on targeting the most marginalised and disadvantaged women and girls in our community um, and who are deemed to be throwaways, you know, by... Certain individuals, um, you know, with power in our community.
5: And and you said earlier that Indigenous women are overrepresented in Australia's prison population. Why do you think that is?
2: Well, they're an easy target because you know we our society thrives on capitalism and we need racism to bolster up capitalism. So Mm. uh, while we accept racism, we're not going to care about those Aboriginal women and girls that are being criminalised in prison. They're easy targets. Mm. And until we stop that, only then that we have a trickle-up process that will then, you know, protect all of us who are, you know, white at the end of the day. Uh, People get upset sometimes about why do you just, you know, talk about... Aboriginal women and girls it's because they are the most marginalised and if we can stop the criminalised imprisonment of Aboriginal women and girls and Torres Strait Islander women and girls then the trickle up process will be then that less non-indigenous women are criminalised and imprisoned we have to go to the darkest places in our community Mm. and expose that and uh, support those women to come out into the light so to speak so that um, you know to protect them because then You know, once they're free, we're all
5: free. Yeah, that's a good point. So Sisters Inside, they support both incarcerated women and their families. Why is it important to maintain family networks?
2: Well, families are fundamentally, you know, um, about who we are and our community and those connections. If we're isolated and have no family, no community, Mm. um, who are we really, you know? We as human beings need connection with other human beings and we need our family and we need our community to thrive in whatever form of, um, you know, that we want to do at the end of the day. So uh, to keep that family unit together, to keep mothers and children together, to keep mothers out of prison for their children, that's in the best interest of the child.
5: Mm. Imprisoning
2: women and their children is never in the best interest of the child or the woman. Mm.
5: And I guess it's also about addressing uh, intergenerational trauma and so on. Well,
2: it's about, yes, yeah, intergenerational trauma. It's about the invasion of this country mm. and how we address that for the First Nations people of this country mm. until that's addressed and only when that's addressed that we will then see uh, the decarceration of Aboriginal women. Mm.
5: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you're also a prison abolitionist. Um, why don't prisons work, Debbie? Well, for all the
2: <laughs> reasons that I've just <laughs> talked about, um, you know, like they've become the default response for government Mm. to uh, make uh, people invisible that need social supports in our community. So they disappear people and then they think that those problems will disappear, but the problems don't disappear. So, uh, you know, the majority of women and girls are in prison live in poverty. You know, we live in a first world country. So why isn't poverty addressed? Then it can be addressed overnight. Yeah. But we decide not to address it, the powers that be, because that's about capitalism and the haves and the have nots. So we must have have not to have haves to, for capitalism to thrive yeah. and racism to, you know, continue to thrive as well. So, you know, when we talk about poverty, we talk about homelessness, mental health services, all those social services, drug and alcohol issues, rehab, detox, uh, connection with children, you know, uh, stopping child safety Stealing our children and removing them and keeping that cycle going, that pipeline, those children from the so-called child protection services into youth prison and into adult prison. It's a big business that thrives. And we also then have the welfare industry that is is a huge part of the system as well. So where people are not only in the prison system, but the welfare industry are making money on the backs of the most marginalised and disadvantaged. Mm. If the money, for example, was poured... Uh, it's that's poured into the you know homelessness sector for example or the mental health sector it was actually poured in housing and supporting families um, you know all those people would lose their jobs. So they they have a uh, you know an interest in keeping the job and keeping the welfare industry going because they're getting paid on the backs of mm. marginalized and disadvantaged women and girls. So, mm. you know, these are industries that have been created by capitalism. That's you know, that's what we have to tear down and, and you know, have different types of communities where there's support in those communities and not industries built on the backs of those marginalised and disadvantaged women and
6: girls. Hmm. Debbie, I might just jump in really quickly. Um, I definitely agree with all of that and I I think it's really fascinating. Um, Just to be a bit of devil's advocate, a lot of the um, arguments against prison abolition come back to this idea of community safety and, you know, we have to lock up dangerous criminals and all of these sorts of ideas. If we are talking about, for example, um, people who are threatening the physical safety of community members, um, how do you think we could best protect the community from people like that in a place where prisons have been abolished? Well, look,
2: the reality is that prisons are the perpetrators of violence And death, that's the reality. So if you're putting someone in a violent environment for a so-called violent offence, you're actually creating more violence. Mm. So prisons are violent, that's the reality. So we we must start thinking outside the bars and we must start looking after our children to not accept violence. You know, the changes need to happen from a very young age and we need to be able to address violence in our communities. As abolitionists, I'm not saying, and none of us are saying, that um, you know, people need to, uh, you know, should be allowed to get away with violating others. Of course, we're not saying that. But it's about the prison system does not stop that; it creates more violence. So it's about what do we do? And it's not just one thing; it's many things that we do in a community. So it could be about what I do in my family home to address the violence that then filters out to my community, the neighbours, or, or you know, or the street and how we have conversations about how we're going to deal with issues that arise between human beings. It's not about where I call the police and think that they're going to resolve the violence, because we know when police are called, you know, violence escalates. Mm, yeah. uh, so it's about, we have to start taking responsibility for our own behavior and not removing that and handing it to police. You mm. know, or or kids go to school, children aren't taught, mm. for example, how to resolve conflict. They're removed from a classroom and they're taken to the headmaster's office, the principal, and dealt with there. Mm. You know? yeah. Why do we need an intervener of a higher authority and power that can actually cause more trauma? Mm. We need to be sitting down with our children, sitting down with each other and resolving the issue. So, you know, like when um, I was in prison, uh, you know, one of the women murdered my close friend sitting beside me. You know, yes, she pleaded guilty. Yes, she got life imprisonment. But I mean, over the years, her and I, I instigated that we would sit down and we did, we resolved the issues, the murder between each other without any authority, authority sitting with us Mm -hmm. because what I wanted to do. uh, Because if Sisters Inside was going to be about women, it had to be about all women, no matter what they did. And so, and then I advocated for her to be released on parole and she's released on parole and she's, you know, been on Sisters Side Management Committee and we're good friends because we we resolved that murder. Now that's that's taking it to the extreme but I mean and it can be done and it and it has been done and it will continue to be done in the frameworks of system Inside and, and how we work with women and girls but that's what we need to do. We've got to stop relying on cops, stop relying on people with power in our lives to try and mm. resolve conflict that's between individuals where mm. it can be addressed and that, that we can work together and make our community safer. Mm. Safe, safer prisons do not create community safety yeah. that's the call cry the catch cry that mm. the prison industry the law and order campaign has instilled that fear in us all mm. that prison
5: will create community safety it's a lie yeah absolutely and i think it's also important to note because i'm somali um that's my background we when there's an issue in the community we don't always go to the cops we have like mm. little um, I guess, very informal tribunals or we have the leaders of certain um, uh, tribes come together and resolve those disputes within the community as opposed to going to the um, police. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also yeah. important to note that the police, um, the prison system hasn't always been around. It's been like, it's it's not I think a lot of us don't know that there's other ways of handling disputes that the, the police system or the um, criminal justice system, it's it's not that, like he hasn't been around forever, so if that's the case then there's always a different way to solve disputes. Yeah,
6: and if it's not working, then this shouldn't be the way we solve disputes, mm. like you've just said Debbie, all of those things are 100% true mm. there are so many other ways
2: Well that's right and it's about, you know, we're, we're, we're humans that are surviving and thriving in a world and however that world becomes so individualised, we've actually lost the capacity to be able to talk to each other about the hard stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we need to start doing that again. And whether it's about violence or whether it's about, you know, um, whatever it's about, we have the capacity as humans to resolve. We do not need other powers, police, to come into our lives and escalate that violence and tell us what, you know, should Mm -hmm. happen and shouldn't happen. You know, domestic and family violence is a classic example about... You know, for years as women and the feminist movement, we fight to stop violence against women and absolutely have to continue that. But I mean, we can't legislate and we can't arrest our ways out of violence against women and children. It is actually not working because mm. what it's doing is creating this other group of people and now what we're seeing is Aboriginal women being put in prison for defending themselves. They are the fastest growing group of women inside prison that are coming in and being remanded in a custody for contravening domestic violence orders. This is how what happens. You know, we legislate, we get the police involved, the law enforcement arms of the state, all in net wire, and the prison industry is stronger and, and gets stronger and stronger and harder to dismantle because we're all socialised to rely on it. We've got to stop relying on law enforcement. Um, We've actually got to start doing the work ourselves in our community. Mm. It's the only way forward to get just results for everybody. Mm.
5: Yeah. And before we leave you, Debbie, um, what can we as listeners, as people in the community, do to support Sisters Insight?
2: We've we've got a website. (laughs) You you can have a read of our values. try to walk the talk, you know, support women and girls that are struggling with their own community, your neighbour next door.
11: Mm. You know, you see
2: might see a young woman up the road at the shop struggling with her little young ones. Have a conversation, see how you can support them. You know, it's about how we build a community that where we look after each other and where we don't have to rely on those, you know, law enforcement types of processes in our lives. Let's build a community where everybody's looked after and you know, gets cared about where we don't have human beings that get thrown, you know, mm. into the prison system and think that they become invisible and that social issues become invisible as well because mm. that's not going to work. We do have issues. People are living in poverty. People do have mental health issues. People are fighting drug addictions because of usually they're self-medicating, because of physical and sexual abuse as children. You know, we've got to do the hard work and we can't leave it to the next generation. You know, my... I suppose what I would like to see is the next generation of babies that are born now, maybe from today for the next 12 months. Imagine if those children, those babies, never in their life experienced any type of violence, how the world would be so different. You know, we've got to start imagining abolition and work our ways towards
6: it. Debbie? That was beautiful. Um, Thank you so, so much for joining us. Um, We are all sitting here in awe and you've given us all and hopefully our listeners just so much to think about. Um, Good luck with all your work and thanks again for your time this morning. No
2: worries. Great to speak to you. Thank you.
6: See you later. So that was Debbie Kilroy, the CEO of Sisters Inside and an all-around legend. Uh, We hope you enjoyed that interview as well as all of our other interviews we did this morning. We'll be podcasting this show, so it should be available up online. Um, Look, I won't make any promises because we're doing it ourselves, but ASAP. Um, And now you are going to hear Accent of Women. So have a fantastic week. Enjoy the sun and we'll chat to you next week.